Hey y'all, welcome to the fifth episode of Deeply Southern, a podcast where we talk about the legends, history, and folklore of the Deep South and beyond. My name is Skylar, I myself am Deeply Southern, and storytelling is a large part of our lifestyle down here. Somewhere amongst the Spanish moss that hangs from old oaks and the honeysuckle breeze that blows through them is a world of stories unknown by many and truly appreciated by less. Well, I aim to change that, and I sure am glad y'all decided to join me. Today we're going to start part two of our mini-series on the Golden Isles and talk about St. Simon's Island. In part one, we covered the mainland city of Brunswick, including everything from the events that led to its founding, its long-felt impact on U.S. efforts in World War II, and the ghost of a murdered local police officer said to still be on patrol to this day. For those of you just joining me, I highly suggest going back and giving the previous episodes a listen, at the very least, episode 4. All the areas highlighted in this miniseries are standalone stars of their own right, but they truly shine like gold when you look at them all together. St. Simon's Island is the largest of the Golden Isles and the biggest tourist hotspot as well. With a yearly average of 2.9 million overnight visitors, I'd say that's no small feat. And it's no wonder people flock to the island. With a subtropical climate and friendly ocean breezes, it's almost always a nice day to explore the many historical sites and participate in the outdoor activities the island has to offer. The inhabitants of the island reach far beyond the residential and commercial areas. The ecosystem there is vast and diverse, offering a home to many land and amphibious creatures, some of which include the white-tailed deer, alligators, armadillos, and terrapins. I'm fond of all these critters, but I'd say I'm most partial to the birds. My personal favorites are the variety of both native and migratory shorebirds you'll find there year-round, some of which include sandpipers, plovers, terns, gulls, herons, egrets, ospreys, cormorants, white ibis, brown pelicans, and the southern bald eagle. The waters surrounding the island are also home to many beautiful and often friendly animals. It's not uncommon to see dolphins, right whales, a diverse collection of game fish, and even the occasional manatee making their way past the pier at Neptune Park. On the sandy shores, you'll find ghost crabs, sand dollars, and hermit crabs. The dunes are covered in sea oats and morning glories, and during the late nights of spring and summer, they become home to the protected nest of sea turtles. The sunny St. Simons Island people know and love today is quite different from the dark history that came before it, and if you ask the right questions to the right people, you might find out more about it than you ever wanted to know. Just like the rest of the land in Georgia, Florida, and the rest of the country, the very first inhabitants of St. Simons Island were Native Americans. These particular people were of the Tamukua which is a broad term used to collectively identify indigenous groups that spoke the Tamukuan language. Some of the last remnants of these early inhabitants can be found in St. Simons Park. On the southern edge of the Oaks, along a narrow lane, you'll find a low earthen mound where 30 Tamukuan Native Americans are buried. The men, women, and children interred there lived in a settlement on the site two centuries before the first European contract. It was most common for Tamukuan groups of Native Americans to live in southeastern Georgia, as well as northeast and north-central Florida. They were the largest indigenous group in that area, and consisted of more than 35 chiefdoms. 
For those who don't know, a chiefdom is a form of hierarchical organization within non-industrial societies that's usually based on kinship. There are typically two social classes present in a chiefdom, the elite and the commoner, and the eldest of the elite had the final say in decision-making. One was either born into the elite or could only hope to advance their class by extraordinary action in their lives. On the north end of the island, at a place called Cannon's Point, you'll find a late archaic shell ring, which is basically a circle of built-up shell mounds that eventually become home to shellfish, typically oysters. This site has yielded evidence of occupation by Native Americans since at least as early as the appearance of ceramics in the southern United States, which would have been between 2500 and 1000 BC. Many scholars in the early 20th century identified the people of St. Simon's Island as Gual, but more recent evidence suggests that the people of St. Simon's Island were the Makama people. You might remember me mentioning the Makama in the last episode as the indigenous people that inhabited Brunswick. Today, it's more commonly believed that the Gual were the first to inhabit St. Simon's, but by the time Europeans arrived in the southeastern Georgia in the 16th century, the original Guav population on St. Simons was displaced from at least the southern part of the island after the Guav Rebellion of 1597 and replaced by the Tamukwa-speaking Makoma people. Battles for control of the land between the Native Americans, Spanish, and English continued to fluctuate throughout the 1600s. One of the island's more popular landmarks today, a national monument called Fort Frederica, was built by James Oglethorpe in 1763. The fort was home to about 630 British soldiers that were placed there to protect the colony of Georgia from Spanish raids. Outside the fort walls, the town of Frederica, home to about 500 people, was laid out following the guidelines of the Oglethorpe Plan, an urban planning method that was most famously used in the founding of Savannah, Georgia, as well as the mainland city of Brunswick. One notable fight that occurred to stake claim to the fort and the island it protected was the Battle of Bloody Marsh. The Spanish were yet again attempting to march on Frederica in hopes of claiming control of the island, but Oglethorpe's troops staged an ambush, and when the Spaniards were settling down to rest for the day, the British attacked and slaughtered at least 200 of them. It's said the battle was particularly gruesome that day, as bodies of the Spaniards littered the ground and the marsh ran red with their blood. This would ultimately be the last Spanish attempt at control of St. Simon's, which would ultimately become part of the colony of Georgia. While much of the original fort is mostly in ruins today, it's still a popular tourist spot, as well as a field trip location for local students to learn about archaeology and preservation. Not far from Fort Frederica, you'll find the eerily beautiful structure known as Christ Church. The congregation of the Episcopal Church is still active today, and the church grounds, including the cemetery, are open to the public during visiting hours. John and Charles Wesley preached at this location in 1736 before the structure was built. They are credited with founding the Methodist Church in England, as well as playing a major role in the development of the Episcopal Church. The first church structure was built in 1820, but was partially destroyed by Union troops during the Civil War. In 1884, the Reverend Anson Phelps Dodge Jr. built the present structure in memory of his wife Ellen, who died while Dodge was touring India. Oh, and something people around here tend not to mention is that Ellen also happened to be his first cousin. Depending on who you ask, you might hear that his dear Ellen was buried in the attached cemetery, 
or that she's buried under the pulpit within the church, directly beneath the wooden cross that was carved from the very tree the Wesley brothers originally preached under at this location. The cemetery here is filled with graves of early settlers, the earliest being from 1803, as well as many famous Georgians, including the well-known author Eugenia Price. If you'd like to visit these beautiful grounds, be sure to step inside the church itself to soak in the timeless beauty of the large stained glass windows. Maybe say hello to Ellen while you're there. If you wish to tour the cemetery itself, be sure to do so before sundown. The church grounds are closed after dark, and for good reason. There are countless supernatural sightings amongst these old tombstones, some far more believable than others. Considering the perilous fights for this land, it isn't surprising to most that the blood-soaked soul and needless death throughout the years has left someone, or something, lingering behind. Well, y'all, that about wraps it up for today. In the next episode, we'll cover the happenings on the island from the plantation era to present day. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider checking out the Linktree link in the description of this episode. Just copy and paste it right into your browser for links that allow you to offer support, give you additional places to listen to both this and future episodes, as well as a link to my Instagram profile, at Deeply Southern Podcast, where you can see pictures that go along with the stories from every episode. Thank y'all for joining me, and I hope to see you next time for part three in our mini-series on the Golden Isles, where we continue our exploration of the historical and spooky sides of St. Simon's Island. <laughs>